Wow. This is great. The Lord richly answered our prayer for a spot. And a lot of you folk sitting here in the seats worked overtime. We're here till almost 10 o'clock last night getting it ready. So can we just thank you? Yeah, I appreciate your work in that. Yeah. So welcome to Portico Church, Arlington. Uh, if it's your first Sunday, we're in a new building for a little bit, um, and so we're excited about that. We're in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. Uh, we're walking through this letter. The Apostle Paul is currently incarcerated in Rome. He planted this little church in Philippi, Macedonia area, in Greek, Greece area, uh, about 10 years prior to writing this. And what he wants to get across to this little church who is suffering and struggling from conflict, which is internal, uh, is that his story, the arc of his life, which has seemingly ended, he sees his life wrapped up completely into the story of Christ. Why does this matter? Because everybody has a story. We know that. For most of us, it involves people, place, experience things that make us who we are. But in the midst of your story, here's what's happening. You're trying to answer this question over and over and over. Why does my life matter? What is it about me, who I am, what I do, where I am? Why does my life matter? So the Apostle Paul sets that aside so that I matter to God. Nothing else matters. So he's writing this letter to them. Everything in his life, as we've learned, even his experience of being incarcerated, of losing everything, he can couch that in this way. Whatever happens to me, God will use it to advance the gospel. So this is where we've been. This is what we've been learning. Today, the text throws this question at us. I like to throw it out early so you can start to chew in your head. Um, What are you living for? What are you actually living for? What do you value so much so that if it were taken away from you, it would feel like death? What are you living for? How do you define success? How do you define a win in your life? Because we'll find it, right? We relentlessly pursue life. We always do that. So how do you define win? What is a win for you? Here's what the Apostle Paul is going to say. For me, you've heard this before. For me to live is, and to die is, you know it, right? We've heard this so much, that verse can mean almost everything or it can mean nothing. So our goal today is to pull it out of the ether, to bring it down out of orbit. What does he mean by this? What does he mean and what does it mean for us when he says, hey, actually for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now he goes on to explain that, so we want to do that. Before we even jump into the text, think about how you would answer that question if you didn't know this verse. For me to live is what? Let me give you an experience of how I might have answered that. For me to live is some measure of success and affirmation from other people that will say, yeah, you're successful. If I have that, that's enough for me, and that is life. So my version of hell or death would be if I do not have measurable success and everybody doesn't like me. I'm just telling you that. Now you know my secret. You can take me down. 
And until God actually put me into a position where my success was gone, and until no matter what I did made everybody unhappy, did I learn what this verse means, for me to live as Christ. What is it for you? It could be, for me to live is a bottle of wine at the end of the day. I can handle anything if I got that. For me is to have control over my own life. Yeah, I don't need success. I don't need what you need. I don't even need people to like me. But I absolutely have to have control of my life. If I don't have that, I'll die. For me, I need money. doesn't have to be a lot, but I have to have enough money so that I'm not poor. Because if I feel poor, if I feel like I can't do what I need to do, it feels like death to me. See, the Apostle Paul lost power. He had no agency. He lost approval. Everybody, for the most part, hated him. He lost every piece of comfort he had. And if we're honest, that's pretty much how we answer life, right? For me to live is comfort. You take away my comfort, we're going to have problems. And he finally lost all control. This is how he writes today. He's writing from a Roman prison, and he's going to show you what a life worth living looks like and a death worth dying. He's going to go there. So we're going to open this up, uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. So let that question hang in your head. Right? What are you living for? It's, it's not an intellectual question. What are you living for? It comes out in your life. All right, here we go. Chapter 18, or chapter 1, verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all, I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored, keyword, in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Con- convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus, because of my coming to you. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, You don't just give us your word. You don't just give us a story. You give us yourself. Our prayer this morning as we come to you is that you would open up your word, that you would open up this treasure, Lord, Not that we just might look at it and wonder. We need it, God. Would you help it to transform our lives? Would you bless us with the privilege of your Holy Spirit that we might understand it, 
that it might transform us to your glory. And we lift this up in the name of Jesus. Amen. The text does something really weird here. Most of it's unnecessary. Paul could have said, hey, you know what? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think I'm going to get out of this. I'll see you guys later. But what he does is he gives us insight into a thought process. Do you notice that? He gives us some backstory into how he thinks and why he thinks and why he assumes that for him to live is Christ. And behind this is this idea that he cannot lose because Jesus is his win. No matter what. You can take away everything from me, my reputation, my power, my agency, my friends, my approval, all of it. However, if Jesus is my win, that is off the table. You cannot take that from me. So, yeah, I can lose. Right? I can lose because Jesus is my win. And that is the same for us. There's three ways he shows this. We're going to walk through this. What does it look like for Jesus to be your win? What does it look like to be able to say, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain? First is this. Um, your life is filled with fruitful work. There's something about being in a love-trust relationship with God the Father through Christ, empowered by the Spirit of God, that makes everything that you do a work of God. So we want to see that. Secondly, your death, so if our life is filled with God's work, secondly, your death is, is, is a departure. Right? We have to think differently about death. And nobody wants to think about death, but it's a departure to eternal life. And lastly, this changes our story because now our story is about honoring Christ both in our life and in our death. So let's walk through this together. You cannot lose when Jesus is your win. All right. First this, your life is filled with God's work. I want you to see... As Paul is writing to the Philippian church to serve them, listen to what he first asks them. Verse 18, he says, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So he is telling them, in essence, that I am dependent on you. In fact, I don't even expect God's work outside of your prayer, I don't expect the Spirit of God to move in my life and through my circumstances outside of your partnership with me and your prayer. So right off the bat, we see this. God almost always answers your prayer, your desire, your need through those you are committed to in Christ. So does that make you nervous? Is that going to be a problem for you? What if I told you that God moving in your life was absolutely dependent on someone in Christ, in this body, knowing you and praying, not just general prayers about you, but investing in prayer in your life, and that releases the Spirit of God to work in your life. Yes, your prayers matter too, but Paul is dependent on them. He is experiencing the fruitful work of God first through their life, through their partnership with them. How? Their prayers. This moves the Spirit of God. Well, so, listen, the Spirit of God is the power and presence of God. Personal pronoun, not an it. He is the presence and power of God in your life. You do not move forward in Christ without yielding to the Spirit of God. 
It's kind of like when you go on vacation, but it turns out really bad, right? You, you did VRBO or something, and it's just a trash, right? But you're still with the one you love, so it works out. Hey, you, you can endure what you hate when the one you love is with you. This is how the Holy Spirit works, and the Spirit of God endures and gives you all that you need. So first, before you can do anything, you need to understand that your life is dependent on the work of others, the prayer of others, the Spirit of God. Secondly, Paul is experiencing the fruitful work of God in his body. Man, hear this. Um, Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed... So this is less about a feeling or an emotion of shame and more of the experience of shame. He believes that when he stands before Christ, he will be able to stand in, in an honor, right? He believes that he is walking in the spirit of God and he has lived his life to honor Christ in his life and his death. So it's his eager expectation that he will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, that's publicly and openly, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in life or in death. So as Pastor Reeve was saying, yes, trust matters, but what your trust, what you're living for will always come out in your body, how you're living. Many times we'll separate what we believe, our convictions, our faith, with an intellectual exercise. And yeah, I think I believe that. Well, no, you, your actions will always reveal what your convictions are. So Paul wants his life to be lived in the body such that he can stand before Christ in honor, right? So he can stand before him without shame. And he says he expects deliverance. That word is basically salvation. In fact, maybe in your translation it says that. So does this mean that Paul expects to get delivered from prison? Probably not, because he says that he expects to honor Christ in life and in death. Remember, he's basically preparing this church for his death. Does it mean just justification? It just means that I expect to be fully delivered? Maybe. It doesn't sound very theological to me the way it's context in, in this verse here. It just doesn't. I think it means full vindication. Hey, let me ask you a question. If you've lost everything for the sake of Christ, how wrapped up in your vindication would you be? A lot. If you've lost your name, your money, your job, your friends, your family, your church, how important would it be to you that when Christ returns, he will publicly put you on display as saying, oh no, he He trusted me. He lost everything. He was kind of a joke, right? But I love this guy. I I openly vindicate everything that he did. Not sin, right? You understand that. But he put his trust in me. So Paul is probably reflecting on his life through Job. Job 13, verse 15, where it says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation. Job stood before God believing that it would be God who saved him. So Paul expects that. He expects to experience salvation in the body, present tense, right now. Do you expect that? Do you expect to see the work of God working out in your life right now? Is that something that you have an expectation for? Do you even need that? 
deliverance. Full, final, public vindication of faith that endures through prayer and through the Spirit. And his goal is this, not be ashamed before Jesus, but live in full courage today. So, man, before we run out of this, before we jump into the next thing here, we, we do this all the time. We tuck our faith away into an intellectual exercise. We will read, we will read the Bible, we will read books about the Bible, all good. But your faith is really capped at what I believe. That's it. Yeah, I believe that creed. I go to that church. Do you expect deliverance? Do you expect God to work in your life now? Do you expect God to work through your life? See, Paul leveraged every experience he had to serve others. This is the work of God working out in his life. This is his life being filled with the work of God. So honoring Christ in his body and in our body is actively using everything that you have, including your experiences, including your circumstances, yes, including your intellect, to serve others. Do you know that your experience belongs to others in Christ? It's not just yours. And if you're willing, God will use it to serve others. So when is the last time that happened? When is the last time you leveraged your loss or your pain or your frustration? And instead of complaining about it, used it to love and serve someone else. Because you know what? You understood what they were going through like nobody else in the room did. Can you do that? Would you trust, would you trust God to do that through you? This is where Paul was, and this is where fruitful work in your life and through your life begins, right? You cannot lose when Jesus is your win. First and foremost, um, your life is going to be filled with this fruitful work. Secondly, so life is good, but what about death? This is really important, and we don't talk about it much. Your death is a departure. You're going somewhere. Where? You're going to eternal life. So, What does that mean? Um, Well, first of all, did you know that today you're one step closer to your funeral? Boy, that's morbid, right? But we just have to say it. We just have to say it. Hey, we're young. You know how many funerals I've done in this church? Zero. You know how many weddings I've done? A bunch. So this is the stage of our life. This is good. Praise God. God starts movements, right, with, with just young. He just does. But you are going to die, and you're one step closer to it today. Um, so what happens to Christians when they die? Can we, can we just go there? Second Corinthians 5. This is Paul again. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home with him or away here, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. All right, Christian believer, when you die, when your heart stops beating, you're present with the Lord, period. What does that look like? I do not know. I can't give you an answer for that because scripture doesn't. It's better than this. I'm going to tell you that. 
you'll be present with the Lord. That, that happens at death. Now, when Jesus returns, he recreates a cosmos and reunites bodies with soul. Glorification, that, that's what's going to happen. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Secondly, uh, death is a departure to eternal life in this way. It's the end of your sanctification. It's the end point of pain that leads to holiness. It's the end point of holding on to Jesus by faith. It's the end point to worshiping the invisible God through the visible church, through the visible word, yielding to the invisible spirit of God. It's the end of that. You will see him. You will be like him. And lastly, and this is key, you are not just only going to be removed from the penalty of sin, which happens in faith, and the power of sin, which happens right now in faith, that happens here. You are removed from the presence of sin. So both internal sin is removed and external sin is removed. That happens at death. So this is why Paul can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He meant it. Here's what he's not saying. So we have to be careful to nuance this. He's not saying life is so bad, I'd just be rather be dead. Now, every, honestly, everybody's felt like that. And for some people, so much so, it captures the imagination. It, it, it's dangerous, right? He's not saying that. What is Paul saying? Well, he's not choosing death over life. He's choosing Christ over everything. You hear that? He's not saying, yeah, life sucks so bad, I can't wait to punch out. I don't even care what's next. I need an escape plan. He's, no, no, no. He's being honest. But he's not choosing death over life. He's choosing Christ over all. Um, and why? You know, hear why. Paul knows that what brings him joy now is only to increase it's like the difference between being on a Skype call with someone you love and being in the room. He is going to get more of what brings him joy, which is the presence of Christ. And he sees himself caught between two good things, right? If death is a departure to eternal life. Listen to what he says, verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Right? The work of God working out in my life. Yes. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Again, this is all extreme. This doesn't need to be here. This is a great blessing to us. Watch how Paul thinks. Think like he thinks. Hey, if I'm to live in the flesh, that's fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed or holding between the two. My desire is to depart. Know what he says? He doesn't say, I just want to die. He says, no, I want out, but I want to be somewhere. I want to be with Christ in bodily form with him. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. That is true. Um, that word depart there, it, it, it means a little bit something different than what we, we, the connotations we give it to it in the English. It's like you can use it for um, weighing anchor with a ship or taking the rope off the dock. I don't even know what they call that thing. Somebody? Yeah, okay, nobody. All right, we don't vote in here. So um, when you when you un, you take the, the rope off the ship, like, have you ever been on a cruise ship? Help me out here. 
you, you usually get out in the afternoon and it's night and you eat dinner and you go to bed and you're usually hooked up to the dock and the more, the more, thank you. You're unmoored, untethered from the dock. Thank you. You get something good today. I don't know what it's going to be. Um, give this man like a free like water bottle that says portico on it. Um, yes, that. And you're unmoored and maybe you go out after dinner and the lights of the city start to fade away because you're away and you start heading out for your destination. That's like death. You go to bed, you wake up the next day and you're in port. Palm trees, gorgeous, um, tropical drinks, happy and joy. So that is what he's talking about. It's like a departure. It's like being unmoored or untethered or weighing anchor and departing and moving to where Jesus is. This is how Paul sees it. It's true. Because of that, he cannot lose. We cannot lose when Jesus is our win. The work of God is going to work out in your life and through your life. Death is just a departure to eternal life. Do you, do you feel that? Do you believe that? And third, your story honors Christ in life and death. And this is where we're going with this. Friends, you've got to start using gospel logic. Think like he thinks. You know who the most powerful person in this room is? Definitely not me. I'll tell you who it is. It's the person that has stopped fearing death and fearing life. No longer a slave to fear. Some of us are terrified of death. Maybe we have a little more gray hair than you. But some of us are terrified of living. See, the text wants you to grab onto God's sovereignty. Everything that comes to your life, through your life, will advance the gospel in you and through you if you'll trust him. And also God's provision. First of all, God's provision is sitting next to you. For me to live as Christ and to die again. If that's what you believe, then the most valuable thing you have is off the table. Nobody can take it from you. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Why, Paul? For your progress And joy in the faith. So your progress in the faith brings joy in the faith. Modifies both. It's not just that Paul wants to stick around for the joy. That would be good. But what he's saying is, I'm going to be here. I'm pretty convinced of that. For your progress, same word, advancement in the faith and in joy. They go hand in hand. He knows that. So that in me or through me, you will have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because I will be there. I'll come back and we together will worship Jesus together. So here's what Paul is saying. Here's what the text is saying. When you contend for the faith of others, when you choose to honor Christ in your life, You're contending for their joy. When you contend for the faith of others, you're fighting for their joy. 
And some of this is blatantly obvious, right? I can pray for someone. I can give them a word of an encouragement. I can bless them. I can use my gifts to serve the church. I can play in the worship team. I can set things. I can do all these things. Where there's a big disconnect is when it causes conflict, which is happening in this church. When I contend for the faith of you by saying, what are you doing? Because if I confront you, because you're not walking in step with the gospel. It's going to feel like I'm ripping joy out of your hands. It's going to feel like my, I'm the enemy of your happiness. He wants us to be serious about helping others to see and savor Jesus. If you want to see joy yourself and you want to be an agent of joy, you've got to be serious about fighting for the faith of others. Not just prayer. You gotta love them. You gotta encourage one another. You have to be willing to listen to them and receive a rebuke. You have to be willing to walk together. You have to realize how you feel about something probably isn't the most important thing. Um, Some of you saw Mary Priscilla this last week. She came over from Bethel Gospel Church. She was like on a three-week tour of... Um, America, just taking care of some business. And we were like the jumping off point for going back to India. She was exhausted, by the way. And so we just really just kind of wanted to hang out and have fun with her. But she spoke at our India outreach dinner. Um, But one of the things that I saw in having lunch, when Christy and I had lunch with her when she first got off the plane, man, she is absolutely wrapped up on this. She will never stop contending for the faith of the, of the boys and girls, the men and women that are at Bethel Gospel Church that are orphans. Not just because she feels like it's her calling. When she speaks about them, she speaks like a mother. She speaks like somebody who's absolutely invested in them. She doesn't speak, speak just like somebody who has to do this. And she confronts them, and she loves them, and she encourages them, and she grieves with them. She contends for their faith. She wants nothing more to see them savor Jesus and to get serious about growing in their faith and she knows that is the core of their joy. So this, this is going to sound mean, but if you disappeared from this church, would anybody miss you? Here's what I mean by that. Would they feel it? They feel loss, not just because you're a swell person, because I know you are, but would they feel like, ah, my faith is a little bit in jeopardy now. They, they helped me grow in faith and in joy. Man, we ran together. That person knew me. Would, they, would you be missed? Are, are, you, are you critical to the joy and the faith of others? This is what it means to honor Christ in your life and in your death. Because you just can't lose. No matter what you give, no matter how hard it is, no matter what you give up, you cannot place yourself in a position where you are going to lose. Right? When Jesus is your win, that's just not going to happen. So what does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus is your win? First, you belong to him. You possess him. He practically stands above everything in your life. Period. 
His word is law for you. Not just you want to obey him and make you. No, you value him above everything. And secondly, you know that you can stand before him without shame. You are absolutely convinced that you have real forgiveness. That as the song said, you are a child of God. That's pounded into your head. You belong to him not because of who you are or your works or because of who you, where you're born or your step, anything. You belong to him because he set his grace on you and you have responded by faith. You've got to believe that. And secondly, you've got to see that living for his glory is better than living the life you want to live. That's what it means when Jesus is your win. You, you cannot worry about this. I mean, you can give it all up. You can lose everything now because you have everything eternally. Jesus is your win because of this. He surrendered. This is his win. He surrendered his life to gain you. He gave everything to gain you, to possess you, to love you. He earned it for you. You are in a position like no one else in Christ because you can lose everything and you're still untouched. Will you suffer pain and heartache? Oh, yeah. If, if you want to have an, a pain-free life, don't follow Jesus. I'm just going to say that. If you want to have an easy life, go do something else. If you want to live for glory, if you want to know the living God and be known by him, if you want to stand before him, if you want to belong to him, then don't let anything stand in your way. Surrender to him. Right? Live your life for his glory. Trust that his work will be worked out in your life. Trust that your death is not the end, but really the beginning. It's departure to eternal life and give your life to living for his honor, for his glory, and your death as well. This is what Jesus is calling us to, but you've got to surrender to him. Right? His work wipes away our sin, and he gives us his righteousness and his glory. So do, do you know what you're living for? Can you answer that question honestly? How are you finishing this sentence? For me to live is... Let it be Jesus. Let it be Jesus. Friends, when we do this together, everyone sees the wonders of God. This is what God is calling us to. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Help us, help us, dear God, to understand what it means that you are our success, that you are how we evaluate a win, that belonging to you is what matters. Lord, I pray that you would make this just so blatantly clear to us that we would be so willing to give our lives up for your glory. We thank you. We praise you. We lift all this up in the name of Jesus. Amen.